there um, there have been a number of open houses in our neighborhood of late uh, these last few weeks. And while I am nowhere near ready to buy, not emotionally, not financially, really not emotionally, um, because of the financially, um, <laughs> just can't even count that high. Um, I like to look and I like to see what's out there. Uh, a few weekends ago when I was driving home from Shul actually, uh, I had a little extra time and I went for about an hour, open house to open house, just looking into people's homes. It was an exceedingly odd and actually rather uncomfortable experience. As anyone who's ever been house hunting knows and will tell you, I think, you, you walk into a stranger's home, you, you don't even knock on the door, you just, you just walk in. Uh, in true Vancouverite fashion, you might take off your shoes, you might not, depending. And then you just start looking at all of their stuff. I mean, your intention is to look at the walls, the floor plan, but really you're looking at their stuff. Their pictures, the way they decorated. You can't help it. You comment on their taste or their lack thereof. Why is it that people selling their houses always decorate them in ways that are so different than you would do it? And how many times have you walked through an open house and said to yourself, or maybe even loud enough for somebody to hear, oy vey, what were they thinking when they did that? Or chose that carpet or whatever it was. And so I was, as I was walking through these homes, uh, another thought entered my mind as well. And it actually is connected to a, an old game that my parents used to play with us when we were growing up in San Francisco. We called it, if these walls could talk. If these walls could talk. As you walk through a home you don't, that you don't know, perhaps even a really old home, do you ever wonder, who used to live here? What did they do here? What was the family like? I do. I walk through these homes and I see a bedroom that was added on and I wonder if it was added on for a baby that was just born or for an aging parent that came back to live with their children. I walk through a kitchen and I smell the smells and wonder what the family dinners were like there. Did they have a Seder? Did they have Thanksgiving? Where did people sit? Where would they, where would they hold the birthday cake? when they would have a birthday dinner. In one of the homes that I visited, there was a mezuzah still on the doorframe. By the way, it's Jewish custom that if you sell your home to another Jew, the new owner, that you should leave the mezuzah on the door. It's also Jewish custom that if you bought the mezuzah in Israel and it's really special to you, you go to the gift shop, you get another mezuzah, you put that on the door. <laughs> and I wondered if the family belonged to a synagogue. Where did they light their Shabbos candles? How, they, how would they feel if they knew that another Jew was looking at their home and might live there one day? And I also wondered if by being an MOT in Vancouver that maybe I could get a deal because, you know, the whole thing. You stand there in another person's home. A child's height is etched into the doorframe year after year. Photos of family relatives that were clearly taken in this home or in this yard years ago, perhaps long past those people had died. You walk into a home and there's a hospital bed in a downstairs bedroom. Or you go into an upstairs bedroom 
and one closet is filled with clothes and one is empty. Or as one home had, there was a, a high chair downstairs and a teenager's bedroom upstairs. And you wonder how the family manages the very young and the older than they think, or younger than they think. If these walls could talk, they would tell you a story. What did these walls see? What did they hear? What happened inside them? This week's Torah portion is Tazria Mitzorah. It is the bane of every bar and bat mitzvah boy's existence. Yes, Ella, you won the bat mitzvah lottery. You got the Torah portion about skin disease, leprosy, and household mold. Tell them what she won. Every year in my rabbinate, I would get, I get calls. I still get them here, even from people in Los Angeles that are perplexed by this Torah portion. Parents crying out, cringing, Rabbi, please tell me this is not my child's Torah portion. Why do they have to talk about leprosy and skin disease and mold on such a wonderful and joyous day? I'm sure Rabbi Bregman got those calls over his 33 years here as well. You guys didn't call, but there was a, there was a brief conversation about it, I think, at a dinner party. If we look closely at the Parsha, we discover that it is not only is it about people getting skin disease, but if we read it carefully, we see that houses are also afflicted as well with sara'at, with this affliction, affection, infection. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when you enter the land of Canaan, that I give you as a possession and I inflict an eruptive plague upon your houses in the land that you are about to possess. The owner of the home shall come and tell the priest, saying, something like a plague has appeared on my house. And so we ask, how can a house get skin disease? The answer to that question really is found in our answer to another question, which is, how do people get it? And this is not a medical question, this is a theological question that our Torah raises. It's not trying to be a science book here. It's trying to be a philosophical book. On this answer, though, the Torah is rather unclear. It just says that people get it. It doesn't tell us how. But commentators over time have deduced that one was afflicted with skin disease if they were a gossip, if they told rumors and spoke Lashon Hara spoke badly and poorly about others. And they find this example actually in what Miriam says about her brother Moses when he marries a Cushite woman and talks badly behind his back and other times when others speak poorly about others and they're afflicted with sara'at, they're afflicted with a skin disease. And the punishment for these individuals who are afflicted seems to support the conclusion that it is gossip that gets them this disease. Because these individuals would be not treated for the skin disease that they had, as one might think would happen if one was struck with a medical condition, but rather they were kicked out of the community. They were isolated, presumably to go and to feel anguish over what they might have done or actually what might be being said about them in their absence, because nothing defeats or harms a gossip more than people gossiping about the gossip, perhaps. Quarantined, they could not continue to spread that gossip and rumor. 
And then they were not allowed back in until they had done tshuva, until they had repented for what they had done. And gossip and spreading rumors about someone is a very difficult thing to repent for. We remember the story that almost every rabbi has told on the high holy days of the feather pillow and how when you say something about someone, it's like opening up a feather pillow to the wind, you'll never get all the feathers back. But how then does a house get commit the sin of gossip? So Rabbi Yehuda Leb Alter of Ger, who is also known as the Sfat Emet, and his name is important here. His name means lips of truth. Lips of truth. He was a great Kabbalist and Jewish commentator. He died in 1905. And he answered this question in a very mystical way. For the Sfat Emet, the disease on the walls of a house is a symbol for the sin within. As it is the walls of houses that are witnesses to the sinful behavior of those who dwell within them. For the rabbi, the walls may not talk, but for sure they listen, and they hear all that takes place within them, and they echo what occurs therein, and they bear witness to it. In the case of a house stricken with a plague or mold, they reflect back the infectious, contagious, and sometimes deadly and often hurtful speech that all too often takes place within the walls of homes. Hurtful words and slanderous accusations that exist between spouses, between siblings, amongst family and friends. Imagine for a moment if the walls of your home could speak, if they could stand on this bima and say to all of us what they hear inside. What would they say? What would they testify to about what goes on inside them? Judaism, through this Torah portion, teaches that this is not simply a fantasy, an interesting parlor game to play. It teaches that it's true, or at least it suggests, at least, that we should live as though it is true. There is no hiding ourselves in our own homes. Not from each other, not from ourselves, and not from God. The walls bear witness. They are in many ways a glass house. God sees and God hears everything. Or so our faith commands us to operate as if. Belief is not required here. What is required is that we just, is that we practice with just honesty and behavior. Maimonides, the great Jewish philosopher, the physician, and the scholar, explains that sarat on the walls of our home are a divine warning message, imploring its victim to soul search, to do cheshbon hanefesh, to examine the insides of ourselves, to look deeper inside than what we see when we look in the mirror, to go beyond skin deep. In Maimonides' progression, the affliction would start by affecting the house, and then the furniture, and then the clothing, and finally, the body itself. From the periphery to the center of the victim's reality, that what we think is external to us will become internal and personal if we don't confront it, if we don't deal with it, before it consumes us, infects us, like mold taking over your house. The rabbis of the tradition teach that we should make our home a mikdash mayat, a sanctuary in miniature, a smaller version 
of what happens here. And that like that holy sanctuary of a synagogue or the temple in Jerusalem, only holy and sacred and worthy things should take place inside the walls of our home. When I counsel couples about being married, and you guys are getting married in a few weeks and we've talked about this, I remind them of this teaching from our tradition, encouraging them to set aside a room in their house where they don't fight, where they never fight. A sanctuary where only words of kindness and love are exchanged, where only holy things take place. Do you have a room like that in your home? And some will say, but Rabbi, how will a room stop us from fighting or arguing with each other? And my answer, of course, is it's not the room that stops you. Rather, it reminds you that there are limits that there are boundaries, that there are lines of holiness that we do not cross. There are things that we just don't say to or about someone we love or care about. The words that come from our own lips must be stopped by our own lips. The Midrash that I shared as we lit the Shabbos candles, it informs us that our matriarch Sarah, that her Shabbat candles burned from Shabbos to Shabbos, seven days, so that there was never a moment in her tent that was not a moment of holiness. And this tradition was passed on to her daughter-in-law, Rebecca, and that each generation should strive to mirror this example, to make our home a place where holiness is never extinguished, a candle that never burns out. For a house to truly be a home, a mikdash mayat worthy of the sacred things, and the memories that are created within its walls, we must be mindful of what we say, mindful of what we do within them. What if, what if our walls could talk? What would they say about how we live our lives, about how we treat our family, how we are with our friends? Tonight we are reminded that our walls are talking to us. Our walls do talk. They talk through this Parsha that is so gross and disgusting and the bane of every bat mitzvah's existence. Not yours. Your drosh is beautiful tomorrow. (laughs) Our walls are talking. Through Torah, they are spreading this beautiful and important and so often disregarded message that what happens in our home is prayer, is holy and sacred. And we must make it so. Can you hear them talking? Can you hear the message? Shabbat Shalom. Our service continues, page 586. We rise for Eleni.